This is New Hampshire's home for sports on ESPN New Hampshire Radio, WGAM, Manchester, WGHM, Nashua. this season. 14 seconds now. Wilson dancing around. Better be careful. Oh, yeah, very. And then in the catch is Doug Baldwin. He gets free for the touchdown. Very well, we have an eighth lead change here pretty soon. Second down and 10. Brady fires. It's Edelman. Makes the catch. Oh, 38 and the ball is out. The ball is out. And it's still alive. And Richard Sherman winds up with the ball. And all kinds of action in the end zone. They look for a flag. They see none. Chancellor with a coverage. And Seattle's going to win it. And welcome back to the stretch run here on ESPN New Hampshire. I am your host, Jimmy Murphy, Justin Sullivan, working the boards. And we're having our man John Serenades from XNOJoe.com, Fansided.com, and Boston Herald Radio joining us. And since he is a big Metallica fan, of course, I bring him into uh, Metallica and one of their new, their new songs off the new album there. Aptly titled, just like the album Hardwired to Self-Destruct. And uh, I think we're starting to learn that that's what this Patriots defense is. What do you think, John? <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that's an accurate assessment. Uh, they did not play well last night. I think that that might even be a mild understatement. They continue to have the same problems that they've had all season. An inability to get a consistent pass rush. They don't generate turnovers, and they can't get off the field regardless of what the situation is on third down. And I think a lot of those issues reared their ugly head again last night. And look, I think people around here took the Seattle Seahawks a little lightly. This a little? Football. That's an understatement, too. I agree right. with you. I completely I, I agree with you. I would say that they took them lightly, and, and I think that was a mistake because they're still a pretty good football team. Are, are they as good as they were two years ago? Probably not, not at least on paper. But this team is still pretty good. They're probably one of the two best teams in the NFC. And they played like a good football team last night. They made plays where the Patriots could. Yeah, I'm, I'm right with you on that. And, I mean, a lot of people obviously are analyzing the game left and right and uh, looking at the play calling. And, obviously, the big one is what they did at the end of the game there. And, you know, they admitted straight out that it they were playing situational football there and managing the clock. And he's not going to say it. I, I think, but we all know that he was doing that because he felt if he gave even Seattle 10 seconds, there was a chance they'd march it down the field with the way the game was going uh, against that defense. And, and so that being said, I mean, there's a good chance, you know, later on as as the Patriots play good teams like the Denver Broncos or maybe someone in the playoffs, they're going to find themselves in situations like that again. And if they don't correct what they've got going on on defense, uh, John, my question to you is, 
do you see them continuing to play situational defense, or are they going to be forced to just score right away and take what they can get and, and pray for the best on D? Well, I don't think this is a Super Bowl-caliber defense by any stretch of the imagination. This team is an offensive team. They're going to win football games the rest of the season and then the playoffs with their offense. It's going to fall more on Tom Brady, and that seems to be a pretty common theme in this Belichick era, especially in the last 10 years. In the early years of the Belichick era, they played good defense. It wasn't so much about Brady in the offense. They ran the football. They were a more balanced team in all three phases. They're not that anymore, and they really haven't been that the last 10 years. A lot of the onus has been, especially since 2007, on Brady in the offense to score a lot of points, to outscore people because the defense is going to bend, but they're not going to break. Well, I don't think that this defense right now, as it's currently constituted, is good enough to be the catalyst for this team to get to a Super Bowl. They're going to have to, to tag along and play well enough to give the offense a chance to win them games. As far as that last play call is concerned, I was there, and what I found interesting was on third down, they put Gronk in the backfield. They started in that in that three tight end formation, and they shifted to the one back formation. They ran the sneak in the B gap. It didn't work. But I said to the person that I was with, they're going to throw the fade to Gronkowski on the next play on fourth down now that they didn't score because they got the matchup they wanted when Cam Chancellor walked out to defend him. I don't have an issue with that play call. A lot of people there, including the media, were saying that, well, you can't throw a fade ball there. It's too predictable. It's a high percentage play call. They just didn't execute Yeah, I mean, I'm with you on that. I completely agree. And furthermore, for anyone to suggest that there should have been pass interference on Chancellor is out of their mind. If anything, the interference was on Gronkowski, who pushed off him to start the play. And I... I I think that Gronk seemed more concerned with Chancellor than he did with the play, with the ball. That that's yeah, what bothered yeah. me there. And, yeah, and, I would agree with you there, Jimmy. Yeah, and I, that's why I don't understand. You know, I was watching uh, is is NBC cut away to local NBC coverage on, on you know whatever channel it is for everybody there on HDH out of Boston. You know, they're sitting on this is this, that non interference call is going to be talked about forever, and how could they let that go? And I'm like, what game are they watching? I mean, that was mutual interference. I don't agree with Chris Collinsworth much, but as he said, that was mutual interference. And uh, it shouldn't have got to that point. And, and my think, going back to what we said about what type of team they are, I agree with you. This is an offense team, and they're going to go as far as the offense carries them. But as we've seen in the playoffs, John, I mean, it, it, it becomes defense. It's just like in baseball when it becomes starting pitching. In the, in the playoffs, it seems to be all about defense. And even if you have this high-octane offense, can that Patriots defense find a way to survive and get a Super Bowl win? Well, again, that remains to be seen. Right now, as I said earlier, I don't think that they're a Super Bowl-caliber defense. I don't. And that's, and that's not me being negative or, or knocking the organization. I, I just don't think, based on what I saw last night, when you're playing an elite team at home, I don't think that this defense is good enough right now to get them to a Super Bowl. If they're going to get there, it's going to be on the arm of Tom Brady in this offense. And look, the offense didn't play great. The two turnovers obviously impacted the game. But they they did enough, in my opinion, to give you a chance to win the game. The defense didn't uphold their end of the bargain. If they don't fix the three problems that I mentioned earlier, if they don't start generating more turnovers, they don't figure out a way to get off the field on third down, if they just don't, if they don't find a way to generate more of a pass rush even, if none of those issues are corrected, this team could be a one-and-done in the playoffs, Jimmy. That, that, that's, 
That's not an overreaction given that they lost last night. That's reality. I don't see how. You haven't seen it this season. They haven't addressed those three areas. They haven't fixed them. If they don't moving forward, this is a team that could potentially get bounced a lot earlier than we would like. You know, it, it's I, and I agree with you. I, I think there is a potential for that to happen. But it's interesting. We look at this and, you know, coming out of that Houston game, uh, when they shut out Houston at home, I, I mean, there were people saying that, you know, Patricia was going to be getting a job in a second after this season was over. And, you know, I heard guys on WEI today saying, who knows if he's going to be fired now? I don't think it's gone that far. And no, I don't that's, think that's an exaggeration. That is an exaggeration. And I think this is on Belichick and, and personnel. Uh, you know, this is this is what you have to deal with. Now, that being said, if there is any coach that can make the best of a situation and come up with new approaches and new systems, it is Belichick. And that's what the Patriots have going for him there. But my question to you is, and I think the one thing I've always had with Belichick, the one issue I've always had is his stubbornness, right? And sometimes it's good, but many times it's been bad. And I think we saw that last night, John, where I didn't see them adapt a lot. Like, it was like, you know, this is how we're playing, and I don't care that Russell Wilson isn't being the Russell Wilson we expected and he's staying in the pocket and he's shredding us right now from the pocket. I don't care. This is how we're going to play. And they didn't adapt. Do you think that changes as they go forward? And, yeah, we might not see it in the next few games because of the quality of teams they're playing. But when we get to, say, a Denver or, you know, we're in the playoffs, do you see him adapting or you think stubbornness is an issue right now? Well, he's always been stubborn. And I think that the best example of that is the way he's managed the roster through the, through the years and the way he's managed the draft. The, the, the way they've drafted – has been so frustrating because I think he's brought in a lot of talent. The talent infusion is undeniable. The problem is the way he's managed some of some of the picks. And, and of course, now people are starting to question this pass draft and Cyrus Jones has been a bust and they haven't gotten anything out of it, blah, blah, blah. Well, you've also gotten Joe Tooney and Landon Roberts out of this draft. And I think both of them are pretty good young players. So it's way too early to judge him on this draft. But as far as the Jetson is concerned, what I found interesting was they played a Landon Roberts at the Mike linebacker last night, and they moved mm-hmm. Dante Hightower to his natural position at outside linebacker at the stand. And, and, and I thought that that was the right move. I kind of felt that that's what they were going to do moving forward. But my issue with them defensively is, is that I get that he's been a career-long bend-but-don't-break guy. You can budge a little from the 20 to the 20, but don't give them anything in the red zone. I mm-hmm. get all that. It's that old-school Bud Carson philosophy from way back when, but you got to pressure in certain situations. And I know that they're sugar rushing Wilson last night because they want to keep him in the pocket. They don't want him to break, contain, and extend plays. I get all that, but at some point, you've got to make life tough on him, especially when you look at that Seattle offensive line, which is young, inexperienced, and quite frankly, outside of, of German Effetti, I don't think they're very good. He's their only quality offensive lineman. So, it bothered me that they didn't use more of their sub packages and their pressure mm-hmm. packages and, and be more creative to try to keep Wilson in the pocket and confuse him and throw him off his spot so that he's not hurting them the way he did in the passing game. That was a, a little discouraging to me. Yeah, They I, kind of hung out their secondary to Brian in a sense because they didn't generate enough pressure on him. Yeah, I'm with you. You know, another interesting thing, I, I was just reading it before we brought you on, uh, I guess Pete Carroll was on the uh, Brock and Salk show on 710 ESPN Seattle today. Makes an interesting comment about the atmosphere 
at the game last night. You said you were there. Uh, and I, I agree with him. And I, I think this is, this is kind of a problem. But I want to ask you, too, does it apply to the team a bit? So here's the quote. He says, uh, he was asked, you know, what would you think of the atmosphere there in Foxborough? And he said, okay, it's not a great place. They weren't, they weren't nuts. It's because they're so used to winning. There was a time when they kicked their last field goal to go ahead, and it was like a round of applause for the nice effort. Gosh, our guys would be going berserk. We're so hungry for it. Does that reflect on the, on the team, too, a bit? Have they become a bit complacent? And furthermore, does that play a role in coming out of a bye week, too? Well, I, I don't know how much crowd involvement impacts the players. I do think that the more the crowd is into the game, I do think that some teams, some players do feed off of that. Uh, I, I don't think this is an organization that necessarily feeds off of it. I think no, my question, no, my question, John, is I, do, you, do you think that same mindset that Carol says, Carol's basically saying that the Pats fans are so used to winning they don't get as excited anymore, right? I, I do you think that, that mindset, that. But, but do you yeah. think that, that do you think that the Patriots organization has a problem and has a similar mindset that he claims the fans have in that, you know, are they going into this and even if we're, they're in a tie game like that, are they still thinking no matter what, we're coming out with a win because we're the Patriots? Are they getting too cocky is what I'm trying to ask. No, I don't think so. No? I don't think so because I think you have a guy in Bill Belichick that finds ways to motivate his players every single week. Look, with all due respect to Pete Carroll, not everybody is going to use the same shtick as him. I'm pumping so jacked on the other nonsense. Because, look, while that has worked for him and that's who he is, 90% of the coaches in the league aren't going to approach their players in that same manner. So while he's sitting there and he's propping up the 12s and his coaching style and the way they do things on their airwaves out there, the reality is this is a different animal here. First of yeah. all, this is a much bigger pro sports town than Seattle. You have four legitimate organizations here. It's a pro sports town. College sports don't really matter. Right. And the Patriots are used to winning, and the fans are used to winning. And the fans spoil. There's no question about that. You see it last night. They're kind of ho-humming along in the game, and then when things don't go their way, they pitch and moan. But the reality is to insinuate that maybe the organization has kind of developed this this attitude that, well, we're the Patriots, we win or we're going to win, that's the way it is. I don't think so. I don't think that that's the case with this organization. They're always finding ways to reinvent themselves on and off the field. They're always trying to find ways to to find that edge and stay ahead. I don't think that's the case at all. And to be honest with you, Jimmy, when Pete Carroll makes stupid comments like that, (laughs) I think he's taking away from the performance of his team. I thought his team played pretty well last night. I did, too. That's what he should be focusing on. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I I just... I mean, I see what he's saying maybe with some of the fans in, in the radio announcer. I, I do think it's not the best comment, but I did notice, I mean, I'm sure you kind of felt it too. There were a lot of media around here that weren't taking Seattle seriously. I mean, No, absolutely you know, not. They, were, they I, thought I, the Patriots I, were going to walk I in. I that the media and the fans didn't take them. Yeah, but I don't, I'm with you. I don't think that was the case with the, with the team. I think the no, Patriots no. went out there. They made some mistakes, and Seattle capitalized, and it's as simple yeah. as that. I, I think, like you said, give credit to the opponent there. Seattle played a great game, and they came in and they executed, whereas, as Brady said last night, the Patriots didn't execute. That was the problem, and I, I think that's what it comes down to. So, But going forward, like I said, the next few games are games they should win. How do the Patriots utilize those games uh, to correct some of uh, the mistakes that they made last night and some of the things that have been nagging them lately? Well, I think what you got to do if you're Bill Belichick, Patricia, and the defensive coaching staff is I think you, you need to identify the five or six problem areas with your defense, and I think you need, you need to use games against San Francisco, the Jets, the Rams, 
to fix some of those problems? How do we generate more pressure? How do we make sure that we have the right people on the field on third down and we get off the field? How do we find ways to generate turnovers? What do we do with practice to practice generating turnovers? I think those are the things that they're going to need to focus on because there's enough talent and scheme there for this defense to play better and support the offense. But again, I just don't think that this team has enough talent along the front seven especially to generate pressure, and I don't think they generate enough turnovers to play at an elite level. I don't think they're ever going to get there, but they can certainly be better than they were last night. And I think that these so-called winnable games are going to afford them an opportunity to improve in the areas that they need to improve in in order to play competitive defense down the stretch and give the team a chance to potentially get to a Super Bowl. I agree. I agree, my friend. Listen, always a pleasure, John. We appreciate it. Keep up the good work, and uh, we'll talk to you down the line, all right? All right, Jimmy. Always a pleasure, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. All right. That's John Sarnese of XNOJo.com and Fansided.com and Boston Herald Radio joining us here on the Stretch Run on ESPN New Hampshire. We're going to keep it in the football, kind of bounce around the league and look at some of those great games Justin and I were talking about earlier with our man Cole Wright from the NFL Network in the next segment. So stay with us. A Stretch Run will be back. For the best deals around and 50% off, visit ESPNNHradio.com and click on Deals. Ladies and gentlemen, at long last... We need everybody, if you're looking at us, stand up, touch somebody next to you. Everybody in here, stand up, one fist up in the air. We are all one. We are the people. The 75 yards in 88 seconds. Rookie kicker. Simmons blocked. Simmons blocked it. Running back with it is Parks. Down the sideline. Parks takes it all the way back. And Tupper takes the lead at 25 23. Unbelievable. I know we got sold. And the Cowboys have second and 18. False narratives of God that came up against the odds. We not just rappers with the bars. 
It's Kismet that break cosmic with the stars. You bastards overlooking street art. Better yet, street smart. But you keep us off the charts. Some numbers in your statisticians. Y'all know about true competition. Just like the A.O. picture on there talking about he hitting. The only one who's hitting are the ones that's currently spitting. We got your Missy Smitten rubbing on a little kitten. Dreaming up a world that's equal for women. We know the vision. Uh, uh, Boy, I tell you that's vision. Like Tony Romo when he hitting with a Welcome back to the stretch run here at ESPN New Hampshire. Man, I can just sit here and keep listening to Tribe. Are you kidding me? Tribe Called Quest back, releasing a new album on Friday, then killing it. Like you just heard there on Saturday Night Live, just like Ezekiel Elliott and the Cowboys killed it in Pittsburgh. And man, you know what? For once in a while... The NFL killed it this weekend in the ratings, and uh, man, some great games this weekend, and on to talk about that right now is my man Cole Wright from the NFL Network. Cole, I know you're a Murph. Tribe fan, man. How good was that? Oh, oh yeah, man. It was pretty, it was real good. The only, I mean, the, the only thing that went watching it is I, I knew I was that much older, too. Because, yeah. <laughs> Oof, and those cats. They were looking a little long in the tooth, but man, like you said, they did kill it. It, it was great. It was all around. Great Saturday Night Live. Dave Chappelle, you know, I can't wait for him to come back out and do some more stand-up because he, he was tremendous. Was, he looks good, pretty, too. He looked pretty, uh, he looked very healthy. I know, right? Yeah, yeah. It was a great show. Great show all the way around. Like I, I tweeted out earlier in the week, like that was probably the most anticipated Saturday Night Live. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm a big-time SNL fan since way back in the day. Uh, but uh, that was the most anticipated for me where I was like, I just can't wait to watch it since – uh, Michael Jordan in Public Enemy, and that was in like eighth grade. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't know if you remember that one. That yeah. was a good one, but good call. Yeah, it was pretty good all the way around. It was, man. It was cool too. Seeing him pull the uh, the Fife uh, banner down there and mixing him into the song. It was uh, it was good stuff. And you know, look, I mean, we're talking retro here. We're talking going old school to, to you know back in the day when you and I were enjoying hip hop when it was hip hop in my eyes. Oh yeah. Uh, and, and speaking of retro and that retro feel. I mean, it don't get more retro than pairing up the Steelers versus the Cowboys, does it? And they delivered. I mean, that was one heck of a game. Uh, you know, you look at that that Cowboys team right now. They go in, I think that was the first time maybe since week one or week two they went in as underdogs. Uh, but they come out victorious again. And I think they, they proved once again, if they hadn't already proved it, that they're for real, huh? Absolutely, and you know everyone going into that game had picked the Steelers. I mean, yeah, was I was surprised. In Pittsburgh, you know, Pittsburgh had the backs against the wall. You know, they needed to win this game. This was a statement game for Pittsburgh, and Dallas rolled into Pittsburgh and they made the statement. Yeah, they did. And the state the statement was Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott are really doggone good. Yeah, because those two young bloods, boy oh boy. You know, the sky's the limit right now in Dallas. And you, you look at Zeke, he, he did it with his feet. He did it, you know, via the pass. And, and Dak is just spreading it around. You know, they, they are really that good right now. And let- they're, they're a team that can, I, I feel that they can beat every single team in the National Football League right now. I except do too. for the Patriots. Well, I don't, I don't know about that. Uh, we'll get into that in a second. But, I mean. I feel like if I had to, if they were paired up, I mean, there's a possibility. Absolutely. Without a doubt. I mean, the Seahawks are, are another team that they would have maybe some trouble against. But I feel like it, right now, if you were to pair them up and play, play them ten times in a row, Patriots would, 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 would win more of those ten matchups. 
I, I'd agree in that scenario. But one thing that would worry me, uh, just watching the Patriots and specifically last night, um, is the offensive line of the Cowboys. And I think that's something that I don't think, you know, we all knew they had a great offensive line, right? And, and we yeah, saw what yeah. a guy like Tamako Murray, who he's a good running back, but he's, he's no Ezekiel Elliott. But we saw how he could be an Ezekiel Elliott, be a superstar behind that offensive line. And then what happened when he went and he left it and was in Philly and he wasn't behind a line like that, you know, it made him average again. And and you see what Elliott said last night after the game. And I thought it was pretty cool of him to give the line a shout out like this. He said in, in talking about the Steelers vaunted defense, he said it parted like the Red Sea. All I yeah. had to do was run. And, you know, that's the key to me right now is that they, they already had that line as that foundation. And then you put yeah. a guy like Elliott running behind it. You put, uh, you know, Prescott uh, behind center. And you've just got a heck of a mix there that I, I do think that that Patriots defense, based on what I saw last night, would have a lot of trouble. But I think the, I think the Patriots defense is going to tighten up a lot. Um, and let's segue into that. Just your thoughts on how that defense was exposed in Foxborough last night. You know, I don't necessarily know that they were exposed. I think that, you know, every, every team has off days. You know, it, it happened once against Buffalo. And Isn't it nice to bring a, in a neutral voice from out of town? Because everybody's freaking out here, Cole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? I mean, you're 7-2. and two. You, 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 It's not like you lost to, to <laughs> Cleveland. You know, no offense, Browns fans. But uh, you lost to, to, to Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. Yeah. And, and you lost by a score. So... It comes down to a score, you know. You know, the last team with the ball sometimes, the team was going to get it done, and you know, something. You know, it just didn't happen on that on that last pass to Gronk, and you know, that's just the way that it is. When when two heavyweights start swinging, you know, someone's going to land a punch, and someone's going to land that knockout, and that's just normally how it goes. And it's once once again, you throw those two teams, in, you know, in, in a blender, and see how many times one or another wins. You know, maybe it's five to five in a, in a ten matchup. So. You know, the next time around, if they, if they do meet, you know, say if, if they if they thought that is a Super Bowl matchup, Super Bowl Fifty One, you know, we'll see. Patriots might, you know, they might know what what they need to do next time around to get that W. So we'll see. I don't, I wouldn't panic at all. Yeah, I'm panic. with you on that. I'm with you. It shouldn't be in panic yeah. mode yet. Plenty uh, of football to play. Plenty. Yeah, there is plenty of football to play. And you look at you mentioned Dallas. We mentioned Seattle. There, I could definitely see that as a potential NFC title game. Is there anyone else in the NFC, though, who could screw up that potential matchup that, that kind of nobody's talking about right now that maybe impressed you yesterday or has been impressing you over the last couple of weeks? Well, you know what, man? I'm thinking it, it's, it's, it's kind of a crapshoot, but yeah, the one team I'm thinking that could still make, make some noise is the New York Giants. Mm. This you know, is, believe it or not. It's Eli Manning's time is the second half, isn't it? That, you know, that's that's when they, he does a lot of things. He does a lot of things well. And I think with, with wild card, you know, up, up for grabs, clearly this is a team that, that knows how to get there. They know that you just need to do just enough. And once you get that ticket to the dance, you know, anything can happen. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're, once you're in there, you know, there's potential. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that that's a team that they've been there before, clearly, and they've, they've won it before. Sorry, New England fans, again. But uh, <laughs> they, we know what the Giants can, can do when they get in that postseason. They're a, they're a different team when, when that second season rolls around. Yeah. And I think if they can, they can get there, 
you know, I think there are a lot of other teams that might need to watch out and pay close attention because that's, that's a squad. And, and, you know, I think when you flip back over to the AFC, I, I think if you were to look at two teams making it to the championship of that conference, obviously the Patriots are one that everyone's going to talk about, but who would be the other one? Would it be the Denver Broncos, who in my eyes came up with a much-needed gut-check win in New Orleans yesterday? Or is there somebody else maybe that, that strikes you as, hey, whoa, watch these guys down the stretch run here? Hold on, hold on. A much needed gut. They did. You saw how far out of bounds he stepped. <laughs> Everyone saw him step out of bounds. I did, but they, but there were a lot of things in that game, man. I mean, they, they, they showed a lot of heart in that game that I didn't see in the last few weeks out of the Broncos. Yeah, New Orleans is, is a tough place to play. You know, D- yeah. Denver's good, but I, I'm still, I'm still riding that that Oakland Raiders wave, man. Mm. You know, I feel like this is a team that is built for this time of year right now. These guys are young. They're they're fresh, and I think that this is the team right now that they're poised. You know, they're they're changing the culture already right yeah. now with what what they're doing by having a winning season. So you know, if they can hang on, I think that's the team that people need to really keep an eye on. Not that, and not to say anyone has not been keeping an eye on, on the Oakland Raiders right now. Right. But you know, down the stretch, when everyone's worried about what the Patriots are doing and everyone's worried about what the Broncos are doing and and, and, uh, and all these other squads. I think that that's the team right there, the Oakland Raiders, though. People need to really focus their attention on. They're balanced, too. That's what I like about them. They are. They're really balanced. Another team that nobody talks about is right in that division with the Oakland Raiders. And I just think they, you know, they don't get enough ink. And I'm guilty of it, too. I never bring them up. But, man, they screwed up my pool. Is the the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, (sighs) they go in. I mean, let's face it, man. Carolina was building momentum there. They were looking like, okay, they're going to turn the season. They look like, coming into that game, and for the first half of that game yesterday, they look like the Kansas City Chiefs of last year, didn't they? I mean, they're a team that they've been, they've been really winning, and, and they know how to do it. Andy Reid, you know, he, he's a guy, if he gets his team in the right position, you know, we've, we've, seen him, we, we've seen him get right there, but not be able to seal the deal. Right. So could this year be the year? I don't know. That's you know, the AFC West is crazy, probably eh? the best division in football right yeah. now, without a doubt. You know, there's really, there's really not too many weaknesses coming out of that division. But you know, it's it, when, when you look, when you look at those teams, you know, could they start beating each other up down the stretch? I don't know what their schedules look like. I don't know how many times each one of them play each other. They again. each have to play each other. I think a couple of them play each other twice. I don't know the exact numbers either, but I know that they each play each other at least once down the stretch. Okay. And you you took that right out of my mouth. I was going to say, that's the only thing I worry about, too, going back to the Raiders or anybody from the AFC West, is that by the time you get to, like, you know, the the, the AFC title game, you are one beat-up team, man, coming out of that division. Absolutely. And, you know, you have to play those teams. So that's going to be the big question mark. You know, will will they be able to stay 100% healthy, you know, one, and, you know, will, will they be able to stay as mentally tough, you know, playing those teams over and over again? You know, sometimes you start getting in your own head when you see the opposition, and, you know, you know, if, if there's a third time that they could potentially match up you know, in a postseason, you know, then, then we'll see. Because, yeah. you know, there's a, there is that, there, that chance that, you know, some of those wild cards or, you know, at least one of those wild cards is going to come out of, out of the AFC West. I'm with you. Know, you. So. Hey, uh, yesterday I think the only really stinker game, the only real boring game, would be the uh, the L.A. Rams and the uh, New York Jets. Of course, the Rams uh, come away with a victory there on the road. 
and, and by the way, too, uh, in case people haven't seen, Rams offensive end Robert Quinn is in the hospital right now, was put in there with a non-football-related illness. He's in stable condition, and Coach Jeff Fisher will have an update later in the day. Uh, but staying with the Rams here, there was a lot of talk in the last 48 hours, regardless of how the game went yesterday, that we will finally see one Jared Goff next week. Do you think that's actually going to happen? I mean, I don't know. We'll we'll see. I mean, if he's ready, he's ready. But I, I'd say if he's not ready, then I mean, what what's the real rush? Mm-hmm. I mean, wouldn't you rather have if you're a, a true if you're a Rams fan, wouldn't you rather have your quarterback 100 percent ready, all systems go, to start next season? Yeah. You know, say say you put him in there, and and this season, I mean, it doesn't look like it's going your way. You know, I mean, unless you, you know your team wants to pull off a miracle. But I would say just ride out what you have, let him sit and learn, and don't rush it. Yeah. We, we've seen quarterbacks get rushed in there before. We, we, we've seen how that story's ended. And more times than not, it's not always great. What's the, off t- sort of staying with the Rams, but off the field, well, I guess on the field too. I mean, what's the deal with their arena? Are they, like, what are their arena plans? I know they're in the Coliseum now. Have they got something yeah. up and running? or? Well, no, they're building a brand new stadium right in Inglewood. Is that and where it is? Okay, I couldn't re- I couldn't yes, remember. They, I remember reading about it. Okay, so it's Inglewood. Okay, and it, yeah, twenty nineteen. Wow, it's going to so, open up, and it's going to be state of the art. Like I don't know how that's going to affect my traffic on Sunday. It's <laughs> not going to be super far. You know, it's kind of it's kind of by LAX, and I'm not, I'm not too far on other side. I'm in Redondo Beach, and it doesn't look like it's going to be a, a great traffic wise. But I'll I'll be at work nice and early. So your office so. is in Redondo Beach. No, I, I live in Redondo oh, Beach. Okay. So we're in Cul- we're in Culver City. I'm like, oh yeah, nine that's miles a, from the, that's from the a, job. That's a that's nine, a, that nine can be a rough miles. ride. I know where I've been. I've done that ride. Eh, it's not that bad. No, yeah. it could be worse. It could be worse. Hey, at least you're living in uh, the sunshine. Hey, but 68 degrees uh, Fahrenheit here today, Cole. Sunny, not a really? cloud in the sky. Yeah, I'm <laughs> said, telling you, man, the world's Fahrenheit. ending. You could, you could, you could, I can tell you, you go to Montreal a lot. Fahrenheit. <laughs> <laughs> if you said something to me in Celsius, I'd be like, "What?" No, 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 buddy. I'll always be Fahrenheit. People be looking at me like I'm an alien when I say that in Montreal. But hey, nice. I, I'm a Fahrenheit boy, always. Absolutely, always, Absolutely. my friend. Hey, listen, always a pleasure, Cole. Keep up the great work. And uh, has it finally sunk in that the Cubs won? Have you t- time to reflect? <sighs> I, you know, it, it, I don't know if it ever will. I'm sure it will. You know, <laughs> once they win back to back, you know, it's it, it's still it's still fun to just you know to see some of the clips and like the commercials, you know, it's, for the you know the Sports Illustrated books and whatnot. Yeah, you know, like, the Cubs have just won the World Series. Every once in a while, you see one of those on. But yeah, it's still it's still pretty fun. I'm still I'm still wearing all my Cubs gear every day. So. Yeah, I remember I remember when the Red Sox did in '04, and I was you know it was like a month later, and I was just I I just remember sitting in my home office alone and I'm like did the Red Sox really win the World Series that just happened like uh, it's just it's weird it really is man when you I know when you grow up uh, fall on a team and they've never ever won and, and it happens it it, it yeah. takes a while to say it's almost it might not settle in until they throw the first pitch next season to be honest yeah no it's crazy like like you said like you know for so long like and my team had never even been there yeah so that's even that's even more of a that's wow! I can't. I still, it's hard to believe. Yeah. Hard to believe. Well, congratulations again, my friend. We will talk to you, Thank next, you uh, on Friday, and uh, keep up the good work, buddy. Absolutely, likewise. All right, that's Cole Wright from NFL Network joining us here on the stretch run on ESPN New Hampshire. And I'm um, looking behind me, Sully. That sun's gone, just like Tom King said. Four. 
7.30. Goodbye. Yeah. I hope you treasured it while it was there, listeners. Uh, it was it was beautiful. What a day. And, uh, and it was supposed to be nice out the rest of the week, but not like that. So treasure those days while they last. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting there, you know, getting that outside perspective, isn't it? It's refreshing. Yeah. It relaxed. The Aaron Rodgers relaxed spelling it out. Yeah. Yeah. As much as I'm freaking out, you're still going to be a Super Bowl favorite. Yeah. That, that one loss, and I'm glad that you take it now as opposed to the end of the year going into the playoffs. Yeah. It was, I mean, in, I was I was talking like year, I was know? talking to my mother about when I was up in Montreal recently, and we were just talking football with my friends there at McLean's, and they're like, like, do you do you even understand, <laughs> or are you just so used to it, how good the Patriots are? Yeah. Like. Do you get how lucky you are to watch a team like that all the time? Most people are numb to it. Most people, like my friends, like they don't get it. They don't get it at all. Like I, we laugh. And that's all, why ah, I kind of see. Browns. I kind of like, see what Pete Carroll's saying there. Yeah, they're com- he they nailed are. it. I think. Yeah. But as far as the fans go, maybe John's right, not the team. But in terms but as of far fans, as fans and we media, get complacent. Really, we do. We even see so much of it. You see so much winning. You're like, oh, he, we'll be there. It's gonna, we're going to be at the end of the year. You know, he's saying he's saying they're not getting excited down the. I found myself, I was sitting during that final drive, yeah. I was putting together the show today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is a heck of a game I'm yeah. missing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but uh, hey, you never know, we need that outside perspective. Hey, listen, next segment, we will talk to Peter Yiannopoulos of TSN and RDS up in Canada. He's a great NBA and college basketball analyst, so we'll talk some Celtics and college ball with him. So stay with us. The Stretch Run will be back. For ESPN New Hampshire apparel, go to ESPNNHradio.com and click on the Pro Shop. Stretch run here on ESPN New Hampshire. Jimmy Murphy, your host here. Justin Sullivan working the boards, doing a great job as always. That was a Pixies coming in. Name of that song is UMass. And our next guest knows a little bit about their former school that they're singing about there out in Amherst, Massachusetts. He was an assistant coach for the basketball team there, and he's now based up in Montreal. I believe he's still in Montreal. Uh, working uh, for TSN 690 and RDS as an NCAA basketball and NBA basketball analyst, and his name is Peter Yiannopoulos. Pete, how you doing, my friend? Hey, Jimmy, man. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on today. Hey, my pleasure, my pleasure. I love having the, I love hearing that Greek Montreal voice. There's something <laughs> distinct about it. I love it, and uh, I got to know a lot of um, the, the Greek population up there in Montreal, and 
Uh, always a fun time up there. Hey, uh, how is our mutual friend Tony Marinaro doing these days? Tony's doing good. Tony's doing good. He's a little bit excited with the start of the Canadians. Uh, oh, boy, yeah. He's, he's mapping out the parade, right? The, yeah, the Habs, uh, you know, if only we could give out Stanley Cups in October, man. We'd, been, we'd be raising number 25. But uh, <laughs> uh, we love that rivalry between Boston and Montreal. And you know what? You're an adopted uh, brother of ours now, Jimmy, man. You're always in Montreal. So we love your <laughs> I appreciate it, my man. I appreciate it. And you know what? You do a great job up there, Pete. I was telling uh, Justin, our producer here, you know, you cover basketball. And obviously, uh, there's not a pro team there. And it's it's not a basketball market. But there is some, you know, there's always talk that it might happen. And it could get a team. I mean, it, it, people are jumping on the Raptors bandwagon now as they become a a good contender out there in Toronto. What is the latest on that? Do you ever see the potential or a chance that a, an NBA team could end up uh, playing in the Bell Center? Well, it's a great question. And basketball in Canada is on the rise uh, with a great young of influx of players, guys like Andrew Wiggins, guys like Kelly Olenek from the Celtics, uh, Jamal Murray, you know, Anthony Bennett was six, selected number one overall. I mean, we have uh, about 12, NBA players from Canada, so uh, a lot of people have gone on the bandwagon. Obviously, Steve Nash has had a great career, and I think Vince Carter, what he did with the Raptors uh, in, in the 90s, early 2000s, I think a lot of these young kids gravitated to Vince and wanted to become like him, and now we're seeing that all these players, these Canadian players, are playing in NBA and high-level NCAA basketball. To answer your question, Montreal, I mean, we've had five, six uh, exhibition games over at the Bell Center. We sold them out. Um, is there a market for a consistent NBA franchise that's still to be determined? But there's a lot, a lot of positive energy coming out of Montreal. We have an arena at the Bell Center, one of the state-of-the-art NBA facilities. And speaking to uh, Mike Breen, who was there covering the games, and he told me that, hey, this arena is definitely a top-five NBA arena. Um, there's a group of Montreal in discussion uh, with Commissioner Silver and the NBA about potentially having – a team down the road. Uh, they've generated about three, four hundred thousand dollars, uh, three, four hundred million dollars uh, in order to have a franchise. They have to get to at least a one billion mark. But hey, the discussions are there, and I think it's the Molson uh, that own the Canadians. They would like to fill out the Bell Center for another forty-one games. But I think times have changed. There's a new demographic, and mm-hmm. people gravitate to basketball. Jimmy, you know that they yep. love LeBron, Seth, Seth Curry, and those guys. So. Uh, there's a chance. It's slim, but hey, uh, it's in the discussion. And, and, and quickly before we move away from that, uh, you know, for our listeners, what what uh, team do the fans in Montreal typically adopt to other than Toronto, being that it's the only Canadian city? I know they're going to adopt them as their team, but in, in terms of teams in the States, you get a lot of Celts fans out there, a lot of Knicks. Uh, what's the deal? Yeah, I think, you know, the two teams that, uh, that are close uh, proximity to Montreal are uh, the New York Knicks, and the Boston Celtics. So when the Knicks and the Celtics were in town for those exhibition games, there was a, an influx of, of green jerseys, uh, obviously the tradition of the Celtics. I think some people really like now the Golden State Warriors and what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, not so much Cleveland. I mean, the LeBron is like 50-50 uh, with fans <laughs> there, but definitely the Raptors are number one. But I think the Knicks uh, and the Celtics definitely will be uh, in the top uh, of that chart. Interesting you bring up the Golden State Warriors because they were forced to shoot down a uh, trade rumor by uh, a former Celtic and current television analyst Brian Scalabrini 
I'm not sure if you heard about it, but he said that the Warriors were looking to trade Clay Thompson to the Celtics uh, in exchange for Avery Bradley, Jay Crowder, and the Nets 2017 first-round pick that the Celtics own. Uh, your thoughts on that? The, Net- the Warriors have shot it down as normally they would, um, but could you see a deal such, such as that happening? Yeah, no, my phone was buzzing today when I when I heard that. And uh, a lot of respect for Brian Scalabrini. I mean, he's been uh, through the wars as a player and does a great job now as an analyst. And, hey, the, the Celtics are always in the mix when you talk about rumors and blockbuster type of trades. And uh, Danny Ainge is always working the phones. And, uh, you know, when they decide to go with that hard rebuild, getting rid of, or, you know, Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett, and they got all those picks, uh, those draft choices. So they have a lot of them uh, under their belt. Um, Danny Ainge has tried for a number of years to get that, you know, top superstar player to join the Celtics. I think this year getting Al Horford is definitely a step in the right direction. Uh, but he'll always try and improve his team. And I think, obviously, if you're a Celtics fan or a member of the organization, you definitely want to have a guy like Clay Thompson join your, your roster. I mean, what he could bring to the team, uh, you know, quiet superstar playing behind Steph Curry and now with Kevin Durant. So uh, I think for Boston, you would make that trade tomorrow morning. Uh, with all respect, I mean, maybe Bradley is coming out of his, his shelf, and he's one of the best two-way players we have in the NBA today. I mean, I remember him in Texas. Yeah. He was known as just that athlete and that, that defender. He could shoot three ball as well, and Jay Crowder, uh, you know, coming out of Marquette, he's a tough nose, you know, wing player that could defend a lot of those wing scores. So uh, I think Golden State, as you mentioned, they shot it down pretty quickly. It's going to be interesting to play them this week. So I think the rumors are going to keep going on mm-hmm. as long as Danny Ainge is running the Boston Celtics organization. You know, in our last segment, we were talking to Cole Wright, and he's a football analyst for NFL Network. And, you know, it was it's good, like we were saying. He, he was saying, look, Pat- Patriots fans after last night, everybody in the media and the fans are freaking out here, and, oh, my God, this defense is a mess, and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he kind of calmed the masses and gave it a good outside perspective. So I guess uh, with you being in Montreal and being more of a league-wide analyst, uh, what is your perspective on the Celtics and kind of the start they got off to? Because the feel here is that, you know, look, the Celtics got to where they were to being a team that a lot of people were picking to go to the Eastern Conference Finals because they're scrappy, they play great defense, and they have a lot of heart, but they're just missing that one-star player. And then that defense just disappeared here in the beginning of the season. So what's been your take on the Celtics as an outsider uh, looking in? No, it's a great question. And, you know, looking at the Celtics on paper, as I mentioned, you know, acquiring a player, former All-Star, now Horford, he's a guy that brings in legitimacy. He's a guy that's going to help the rebounding. Uh, he's an underrated scorer, but he's not a great alpha male scorer where he'd like to, re- you know, get into the polls, will pass out of it a little bit. I think on paper with him and Kelly Olenek inside, you know, Sellinger moved on to the Raptors. And I think the emergence of Isaiah Thomas has that go-to point guard score, um, you see the potential. Now, there's injuries that always happens, and I think with Olnick being out, he's an underrated player, brings him a lot of versatility on both ends of the floor. Uh, you know, they're trying to bring in Jabari Brown slowly as a rookie, so there's chemistry issues here that's going to start. Uh, Horford goes out with the concession. He hasn't been able to play a lot, but uh, in my preseason prediction, I had the Celtics finishing third right behind Cleveland Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to be in the mix, Jimmy. They're going to be a top-four team, barring any type of long-term injuries. If they can remain healthy, 
I mean, the Celtics are a team that has a lot of talent, a lot of versatility on the perimeter. I mean, all those guards are dying to get onto the court. Marcus Smart, Terry Rozier, uh, they want to prove that they can get into that starting lineup or be significant contributors to Brad Stevens' team. So uh, nine games in, five and four, I think you got to exercise a little bit of patience here and get all those guys healthy. But when you have the depth, you know, Amir Johnson, you know, front court, Ty Zeller, Boston is deep, they're, they're talented. But I think it takes a little bit of time when you bring in a guy like Al Horford and coming into the system. Uh, the Celtics are going to be okay, uh, but Danny Ainge is still going to improve this team. Um, can Al Horford in this roster um, beat the Raptors or, you know, potentially Indiana? I think they could. Can they compete against Cleveland? That's another different yeah. animal and different beast. <laughs> but, but, hey, if they can get themselves into a conference final, I think that that's going to be a tremendous season. Now, my friend, uh, as I said, bringing you on, and we're going to have to, it's, time ran short here, but uh, we'll have you on again. We'll talk some college basketball. But for our listeners, you were an assistant coach at my alma mater at University of Massachusetts Amherst. When were you there? Uh, I was there in 2003, 2004, uh, under Steve Lapis. Uh, I mean, it was a great time, myself being a Canadian, growing up playing hockey at a high level. Somehow I got into the basketball sport and started playing, started coaching, and uh, got hired and to be to be a Minuteman and to be part of uh, the Mullen Center and the great fan base and the alumni and getting a chance to meet Dr. J and, and Calipari and all the great players and Lou Rowe being being part of the staff right now. Derek Collard doing a great job and uh, UMass was just a special place in my heart. Will always be. Uh, I had some great times. I miss San Antonio's pizza. Uh, <laughs> I was just going to say, I know it's a special place <laughs> in your stomach, and that's Antonio's pizza. <laughs> hey, I'm a Greek guy. You know I love my fine cuisine. But, uh, <laughs> hey, uh, I'm going to have to get up there next time, Jimmy. We're going to go down there. Maybe we'll bring Tony Marinaro, too, and uh, maybe catch a UMass game and a Bruins Habs game. How about that? Let's make it happen, my friend. Listen, I am, we'll send this song out to you. I'm sure you're, uh, you've heard it plenty of times when you were there. Uh, <laughs> Peter Yiannopoulos joining me here from TSN and RDS. Peter, always a pleasure. We'll have to have you on again, all right? All right, appreciate it, Jimmy. Thank you, guys. All right, thank you, Peter, and this is for him. This is a UMass fight song. We will be back with some Bruins talk and Mick Collagio here on the Stretch Run on ESPN New Hampshire.